Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome to episode 31 of the Triple Threat Theater podcast. I am a robot impersonating Ryan Miller. And I am impersonating Joe Daxberger. Hi, Dax. <laughs> Hello, Millsy. How long are we going to keep this up? <laughs> We're done. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I'm not actually a robot impersonating Ryan Miller. I am no. Ryan Miller. Mm, indeed. The one and only. Mm-hmm. But that clever little theater of the mind we just oh, pulled. Oh, a preamble, if you will. <laughs> relates directly to the theme of this episode. One of our first we ever conceived. Indeed. And one of my favorite titles we've come up with. <laughs> Tell them. Do the Herky Jerky. Uh-huh. These are three films which... At least going into this, before I had watched a couple of them, I thought prominently featured. Oh. <laughs> Stop motion giant robots. Yes. They all do feature stop motion giant robots, just the degree yeah. to which they feature them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes questionable. One way or another, there's some herky-jerk going on. <laughs> yes. Uh, why don't you tell the listener what the three films are that we're going to be talking about. Well, delightful listener, we have 1989's Robot Jocks. Yeah. 1990's Crash and Burn. Mm-hmm. And 1993's Robot Wars. Yes. Milzy. Mm-hmm. Early 90s, apparently robots were hot in the streets. Well, as we will learn as we discuss the backstory behind these movies... It's kind of all because of robot jocks and all because of uh, your friend and mine, Stuart Gordon. Oh. Director of such films as The Reanimator, From Beyond, Castle Freak, etc. Mm -hmm. Your favorite? Mm -hmm. I am a big fan. Indeed. Big fan of Stuart Gordon. Let me uh, tell a small tale here. Please. Let me a sit down cross-legged on the floor and prepare <laughs> to have a story told to me. A peek behind the curtain, if you will. Triple Threat Theaters. There's plenty of, one would say, research involved, either coming up with these episodes, preparing for them, watching them, searching out these movies, then getting into the nitty-gritty afterwards. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll just say quickly, I watched these in order of Crash and Burn, Robot Wars, Robot Jocks. That is the exact same order I watched them in, coincidentally. Perfect. By the time the opening credits, or just the credits in general on Robot Jocks, were rolling, I said to myself, there's an awful lot of similar names across all three of these movies. <laughs> yes. So, I said to myself right then and there, I'm not going to read a single thing on the internet <laughs> about any of these, because I know my boy Milzy certainly did. 
Did I just like know there's going to be stories for you to tell about these three crazy-ass movies. Well, sir, depending on where you live in the world, it's conceivable that you might think that this is some form of trilogy. Because right. Robot Jocks was the first of these three films to come out. And uh, there are places in the world where uh, Crash and Burn and Robot Wars are known as Robot Jocks 2 and 3. Mm. Similar to the situation with Troll 2 not being about trolls in the least and actually being mm -hmm. about goblins. Mm -hmm. But then uh, some studio exec was just like, ah, this movie will sell better if it's, you know, related to another film we've already released. So they changed the name to Troll 2 and throw it out there in the world. All right. So basically, back in the mid-80s, Stuart Gordon was a fan of Transformers and uh, the Macross anime. Oh, okay. Tip of my hat to you, Mr. <laughs> Gordon. <laughs> And uh, basically thought to himself, uh, there's cartoons made about these things, and there's toys in the toy stores. Why isn't anyone making live-action movies about giant robots that fight each other? Yeah. This would probably be pretty profitable. Now, Stuart Gordon, at this point, had not gotten his first studio gig, I don't believe, if we're talking one of the big studios, I believe that his first real quote unquote big studio gig was uh, he and Brian Yuzna, who he worked with as a producer on a bunch of his movies. They co-created Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. What? Yes. <laughs> Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna created Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then they fought for Stuart Gordon to direct the film. But the studio who really liked the idea didn't trust him to be able to direct this movie they were going to sink wow. a bunch of money in. So, so I'm saying, Millsy, my mind's blown already. <laughs> yeah, so after, so The Reanimator is the first film that Stuart Gordon ever made. Uh, he worked in theater before that and continues to work in theater to this day. But um, when he made The Reanimator, it was such like a surprising hit that uh, I think maybe after From Beyond, which was his follow-up movie, also an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, Whatever studio that was, I'm not, I, is it, was that a Disney film? Warner Brothers, maybe? Whatever studio it was basically was like, hey, uh, we want to give you an office on our lot and like hmm. have you come in here and like come up with stuff for us and like let's, let's work together. I don't know how long that relationship lasted, but anyway. Uh, so before that happened, Reanimator and I think from beyond a couple of Stuart Gordon's early movies were made through Empire Pictures, which was a small independent company that mainly did sci-fi horror weird stuff uh, run by Charles Band, ah, yep. who later went on to form Full Moon Features after Empire Pictures went bankrupt, which is also related to Robot Jocks. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen that. I saw that name all three times, I think. Mm -hmm. Charles Band. Okay. And so Stuart Gordon comes to Charles Band and he's like, hey, here's this idea. But Charlie Band was used to making real low budget movies. And it took him a while to finally agree. I couldn't find an exact budget. Uh, the budget was projected for Robot Jocks to be $7 million, But mm -hmm. according to Wikipedia, it cost between six and a half and $10 million to produce. Okay. And so, it, not because of Robot Jocks, but when Robot Jocks was being produced in the late 80s, uh, Empire Pictures ended up filing for bankruptcy, 
and uh, Charles Band had to let go of the company and someone else took it over. And so Robot Jocks, I think, was the next to last movie released under the Empire Pictures name, but at that point was no longer owned by Charles Band. And uh, basically, even though Robot Jocks came out and was not super successful, it feels like it was just kind of rolled out because the film was pretty much already completed and the studio was like, might as well put it in theaters. Didn't give it a bunch of promotion or anything. It only made like $1.3 million in the box office and they just kind of wrote it off. Mm. But I guess Charlie Band got the uh, the itch for giant robots. And so he produced both Crash and Burn and uh, Robot Wars, none of which are technically related by story or anything. They're all made by the same group of people, essentially. Right. So they are all related in that way. And uh, I think Charles Band actually directed Crash and Burn and his father, Albert Band, who had been making movies since back in the 50s, doing like westerns and old Bihar movies, he actually directed uh, Robot Wars. Oh. So they stayed in the family. Okay. That's, maybe that's what I was thinking, because I just kept seeing Band. I don't think I even realized that it was two different bands, even. Yeah, there's actually like four of them. Uh, I think uh, Charles Band's brother is a musician and did like the music for a ton of empire picture and full moon feature movies. Mm-hmm. But you, you personally would probably know Charles band as the, one of the masterminds behind the puppet master franchise. Oh, and I think Albert band, his father actually directed like one or two of those as well. But well, it's a family affair mills. Yeah. Huh. And full moon features still around today. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not that they're really doing much that's exciting, but, um, you know, not too long ago, they put out yet another Puppet Master movie that actually had um, one or two, like, name people that you would recognize. Uh, Tom Lennon, who was on uh, uh, Reno 911, and he's part of the group of guys who made, like, Wet Hot American Summer. He was in the most recent one. Okay. I think it's called Puppet Master The Littlest Reich. Oh, boy. Yes, um, I think I have seen that uh, title somewhere. Yeah, that was like maybe within the past five or six years that came out. And um, <laughs> the other things you might have seen is at some point he got into making movies in the Ginger Dead Man and Evil Bong franchises. And now he just, that company just pumps out like one of those movies every year and they look fucking awful. Oof, I got nothing on those ones. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thankfully. But uh, yeah, man, Empire Pictures and Full Moon Features and the history of all that shit is fascinating. I was telling you right before we started recording, a couple years ago I backed a documentary about Empire Pictures on Kickstarter, and I'm still patiently waiting for it to finally come out. But uh, I think it's called Celluloid Wizards in the Video Wasteland is what it's going to be called. And I'm very excited to watch it in the same vein as like the Roger Corman documentary or the Canon Films documentary. But... uh, if any of this stuff sounds interesting to anybody, don't take my word for it. Go to Wikipedia and do yourself some reading because there's some fun shit out there to read about. Yeah. I know after tonight I'm going to be connecting the dots and, you know, got the whiteboard out and co- connecting a thumbtack stuck into the wall. <laughs> but yeah, there's your, there's your history. All right. Now, personally, what kind of history? I think you have some history with Robot Jocks, if I'm not mistaken. I do. I mean, 
I can't be sure because my memory is so hazy. I've I've certainly seen robot jocks without a doubt. I'm gonna assume that one was like a probably a movie rental job because I don't even know if that you know maybe that thing was on TV or something. But I've seen it enough that we either taped it or like would get it from the movie store because I know the VHS box art. You know that's when I could draw with my eyes closed almost <laughs> like yeah. And it's it's funny because so that was eighty nine that came out. I was seven. I mean, maybe in the the following year it came out. I mean, I it's been a long, long time since I've seen it, but a lot of it was like pretty vivid on the rewatch of like remembering mostly the robot stuff. I can imagine I was a young kid and it wasn't. That's what's that gonna stick the, in the mind of a child, I'm sure. Of course. Of course. So, um, yeah, certainly that's like a name in a movie that's like always stuck with me without like having seen it for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crash and Burn, not the same. Never saw it. I mean, it wasn't really on my radar at all. I've seen the poster for Robot Wars many times, mm-hmm. but never saw the movie. I, mean, yeah, I was very I- familiar with that that poster as well. I hadn't seen any of these when I was younger. I didn't know any of these movies existed until like the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. Sometime I want to say after I graduated from college and moved home, one of my best friends from high school and I, uh he was also a fan of horror movies, we just got into this kind of habit of when Blockbuster Video was still around, we would uh like when we just were hanging out in the evening we would drive to blockbuster and just go to the horror movie aisle and just rent like two to four things that neither of us had ever seen before, but like mm. we'd heard about or whatever. And, uh, oddly is as big of a fan as I am. That's how I saw the fly for the first time was only like oh. within the last 15 years. Um, what a time to be alive. The yeah. movie store. <laughs> that was the first, that was when I first saw Christine uh, that was when I first saw Cannibal Holocaust, and it's also the first time I saw The Reanimator, which I just fell head over heels for as soon as I saw it and started tracking down Stuart Gordon's other stuff. And, um, you know, just went down the line from beyond and Dagon and all this other stuff and then came across Robot Jocks from Netflix. And uh, that was the first time I had seen that was about 15 years ago, probably, maybe a little mm-hmm. less than that. And... uh since then, I have become aware of Crash and Burn and Robot Wars, and for the last like year, I've actually owned a DVD two pack of them from Shout Factory because I thought, oh, at some point, I'm going to want to, you know, give these a watch. But mm-hmm. had never seen either of them before. So, you know, it's the wildest part of that hmm. that Blockbuster carried Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> yeah, well. They had a pretty good selection, that store, when they were around. <laughs> yeah. Millsy, I was never a Blockbuster guy. No? N- never had a Blockbuster card. What? How's this yeah. possible? Because I don't know if it was just Brockton, Massachusetts in the 80s and 90s was packed to the gills with like mom and pop video stores. I mean, we had the mom and pop joints too, and I had cards for all of them, but. No, that was that was my jam. I don't know. I remember, like, there was a Blockbuster, I think, on, like, the south side of town, which wasn't the opposite end from me. I mean, just throwing out, like, Brockton names. Brockton people would know, like, on the north side where I live, there was, like, Big Jim's, Montello News I used to live across the street from for a <laughs> long time. So that that was, I would literally walk across the street and get movies from there. 
um, when I was in like junior high, high school, there was a Hollywood video that opened up nearby. Mm-hmm. And that was within like two blocks. So that would, that ended up being one I would hit often. You did Hollywood video, but not Blockbuster. Because I don't think there was even a Blockbuster close to me at the time. There oh. might have been one like farther up the street, but Hollywood video was right there. And then at the top of my street in high school, there was like a, a convenience store. Mm-hmm. And then the next block down was another mom and pop. I couldn't even tell you what the name of this place was, but I used to be in there uh, a couple times a week. Mm. Junior high and high school, I'd walk there all the time and get movies. Just rent, crash, and burn on repeat? Or uh, yeah. Robot Chocks? Yeah, Robot Chocks over and over, forever. <laughs> but Yeah, never a blockbuster guy. That's quite the revelation, and you and I are going to have to get into that further in our own time, but... Uh, I think we we should probably jump into our first movie here. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> before probably. we get way too yeah, off track. Right. <laughs> uh, all right, so first off, we're going to be talking Robot Jocks, which, depending on where you look, came out in 1989 or 1990. It's a new age of combat. Human beings... Genetically engineered to be the best fighters in history. Two champions. It isn't over until someone wins. <laughs> At war with each other. Kill it! I have already killed you. Two invincible men. Let's finish it, Alexander. Here and now. The ultimate killing machines. I'm gonna get in this thing, and I'm gonna kick your... Robot Jocks. The actual release date that I saw online was sometime in November 1990. And again, the this movie was delayed. I, I think it was filmed in 87 primarily. And mm-hmm. then because of Empire Pictures going bankrupt and the movie kind of being sold off to another company... It it definitely took two, three years to come out. So be it 89 or 90, either way, this is the, the first one that inspired the whole yeah. low-budget, herky-jerky robot trend. I mean, my, my first stop for like looking up movie stuff is always IMDb, and they even have it as Robot Jocks, parentheses, 1989, directly below that, November 21, 1990. So <laughs> Yeah, there you some, go. <laughs> something is weird there. But. Yeah, for sure. You know, obviously, in in no world is this like, you know, one of the best movies ever made or something. But just, this is a hundred percent one of those movies. When I watched it during that like early days of Netflix, like phase of kind of discovery, mm-hmm. just immediately fell in love with this movie. Totally, it's just like, it's the kind of thing where. You know, something like Pacific Rim gets pretty damn close to this to the point where mm-hmm. I read a quote from. Stuart Gordon, who said that when he saw Pacific Rim, it felt like deja vu. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's rare that you get a movie that's like Pacific Rim that much of a singular vision from, like, an interesting filmmaker like Guillermo del Toro. 
And so something like robot jocks just feels like it's just taking all of these goofy chances and being completely earnest and how silly it is in a way that you so infrequently see from like mainstream films. So it's like that almost undoes the fact that it's corny and it's kind of cheap looking and, you know, might not have the best acting in the world. It's just, right. it's enjoyable on a level that's hard to explain to mm-hmm. people who only watch like a pictures, you know? Yeah. Right. It's like you can hands down watch Robot Jocks in the right frame of mind and have a great time watching a bad movie. Yeah. I legitimately love this movie. And it's one of those mm-hmm. movies where I would say, I, maybe even more so than the movie itself, I love the fact that this movie exists. Totally. It's totally. just like I mean, a time capsule of yeah. special effects and just filmmaking of the time mm-hmm. and Man, it's just, I don't know, it's just uh, such a fucking blast, this movie, to me. I, I mean, if you totally, like, in, like, the, my de- developmental years of me, like, always loving robots and Iron Man, and, you know, we've gone into it on the show before, but, like, these, like, late not late 80s, early 90s, like, Terminator mm-hmm. and robot jocks and just all these you know, different kind of robot things. I mean, this is all part of it too. I've just always been into it. And this, the DNA of that is certainly part of that as robot jocks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I said, I, I didn't see it until much later, but um, you know, again, it was, it was during like a time period where, as I said, I was just like exploring shit that I hadn't seen before. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've talked about it many times on the sidetrack podcast or this show. I'm sure I've mentioned it here and there that while I love horror movies, there's like a specific type of horror movie that I'm drawn to, which is like creature feature type of stuff. And because of that, you know, in my formative years, when I was watching stuff like tremors and aliens and predator and the thing that I loved, I was missing out on things like, you know, the Friday the 13th movies and even stuff like Hellraiser that's a little more like sci-fi or twisted. Mm -hmm. And like during that period, like I had gone away to art school and just been like away from home for the first time and surrounded by a bunch of people like discovering new things and like getting into a lot of different kinds of comics that I had never read before because it was like a comic centric school. And I remember something else long way around to all of this. Um, when I was in my third year and final year of school, I discovered towards the end of the school year that I had a cyst in my back that I had to have removed. And so I had an appointment to come home and go to the hospital like the Friday after uh, school let out. And I remember saying to everybody in class, like the week before uh, school ended, like, hey, I'm going to be laid up in bed for a while. Uh, does anybody have any good like movie recommendations that I can like rent and watch while I'm laid up? And so like watching shit like um, The Conversation with Gene Hackman, which I, I don't know if I ever would have gotten around to if uh, Rob Torneau hadn't recommended it to me at school or whatever. And then I feel like that spiraled right into me getting my first Netflix account. Mm. And then the the thing that I was talking about going and renting movies with, you know, a friend and and watching all kinds of stuff. Like when I was younger... Like, robots are cool, but I wasn't, like, a Transformers guy. I was the Ghostbusters mm. guy. And so Robot Jocks is something that, even though it seems like it would really jump off the shelf to a kid, I don't remember if I ever even clapped eyes on that box when I was younger, but it's, like, 
in that like phase of discovery that I found myself in, it's just it like I don't know. When I first watched it, it just like sang to me, you know. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's just like completely different experiences for us both, but both positive. Mm-hmm. For sure. Even like when when you bring up like Transformers was like a big thing for me, I, me and my brothers. It's like even like Robot Jocks. This is like something I have to ask my brothers about if they remember, because. You know, if I just think, like, we got Transformers, Terminator, like, RoboCop. I feel like we used to watch... We'd be, like, way too young to be watching RoboCop 1 and 2 over and <laughs> over, but we did. It's like Terminator, RoboCop. I mean, RoboJocks was in there. Like, I really got to ask my brothers if what they remember of this one. Because mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see. Because it's certainly the lesser known of all of those. But, oh, for sure. Man, it's right in there in the mix, for sure. I just feel like that was a time in film where robots and stuff like that was like very popular and bankable because even in other genres stuff like short circuit was very popular at the time and stuff yeah see that's another one like and so it is just kind of a shame that robot jocks like came and went like you know we can talk about in a little while like Stuart gordon has mentioned like what he would have liked to have done with a sequel and all this but it's just a shame that robot jocks didn't like spawn an actual franchise instead of this like disjointed little <laughs> forgotten <laughs> corner of yeah. Empire Pictures and Full uh-huh. Moon features, you know? Like haphazard robot movies that seem like they have something to do with the other, each other, but they don't. Mm-hmm. But it, it just would have been great if something yeah, like Robot totally. Jocks had been like a financial success. and mm-hmm. I mean, hell, if it had been, it might have even helped save Empire Pictures. Seriously. But, I mean, let's say, I mean, I'll say it if, regardless, we don't know. This movie was made in 87, 89, 90. <laughs> we'll just throw it up in the air. It looks pretty damn good when it comes down to the stop motion stuff. Yeah, I mean, when you stop and think of how ambitious it is, because something like Terminator, Terminator was conceived of as a B movie. And it's one of those great success stories where, like, uh, a production company had faith in it kind of like the the original alien because alien was also written to be very much a b movie and you know it's not like those were 50 million dollar productions but somebody put a little money into it and let somebody with a vision do their thing and but even terminator you know with all the explosions and stuff that it has you only really see the robotic elements like the endoskeleton Hmm. for a very brief part of the runtime oh yeah now, this movie, you know, whatever the budget ended up being, somewhere between like six and ten million, like I said, probably, there is a lot of giant robots in this. Yeah. Like I said, like watching this as like the third one, too, I was like, I mean, uh, not to bury the lead too hard, but I was certainly like, I hope I'm getting more robots this time around. Yeah. So it certainly delivers in that aspect. And, you know, it like it it kills me it just like breaks my heart i've spoken to some people in recent memory i know i've heard at least one specific person i can think of express this opinion to me rewatched terminator recently and this person was like complaining about the special effects and saying that they kind of wish that they would do a you know george lucas with Ugh. the original star wars and like go back and cg the terminator at the end because he looks so you know, quote unquote fake because of the stop motion. And 
I mean, you can't argue personal preference and opinion like that with somebody, but I just wanted to scream at them and be like, well, that's, it looks more real because it's stop motion, because it's an actual physical thing. Right. <laughs> totally. And then, then I just want to be like, did you see the prequels once he <laughs> retouched them, you know? Well, yeah. But, you know, just stop motion is not an easy thing to do. No. And with the limited budget that they had and just the scope of this fucking movie, because these are supposed to be giant robots uh-huh. in battles, like shooting lasers, and one of them has like a rocket fist move. Yeah. and Which you know I'm all about. Yeah. It's a good rocket punch. And I just love the craft behind this movie. And yes, it's fake looking, but... I just get so excited whenever one of those robots is moving and it's like you see the full robot in frame. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it is one of the stop motion moments where it's not, you know, just, you know, an upshot with the upper half of the robot like, right. moving around. Yeah. I just love that shit so much. And it's just like old school movie magic. Yeah. It, just, it feels it. like these days, as much as there is a lot of like going back in time and appreciation for like the films of the eighties and practical effects and everything. It also feels like there's just as many people who, you know, teach their own, but don't appreciate it, don't care for it. And it makes no real difference to them. And mm-hmm. that kind of sucks, but yeah, but at least we have robot jocks, Milsey. That's true. We do. Uh, the thing that now that scares me the most is I have the Blu-ray from Shout Factory, which is a very nice Blu-ray. A couple of commentaries on there and some archival interviews, but uh, has gone out of print from them. And it's mm. always possible one of the many other companies out there will pick it up and do a new edition. But as we learned, as you learned in preparation for this episode, uh, right now it is not easy or cheap to get a copy of Robot no. Jocks on, no. on physical media. And I don't think it's streaming anywhere. It is not. So. so thankfully your uh, copy came in handy for us. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I mean back to the the movie itself. I mean there's a it opens with robot action, you know. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, the opening sequence uh in the snow was actually yeah. the test footage that uh Stuart Gordon did to convince Charles no. Band that they could pull it off on the budget that they had. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that looked good too. That's a great opening scene where it's panning across the landscape and you can just kind of tell that it's a miniature landscape. Mm-hmm. And then in comes like the severed arm of one of the robots crashing into the <laughs> foreground in the snow. Yep. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh. I mean, t- to touch on real quickly, it's like uh, the story. Was it post World War Three? Mm-hmm. It's supposed any- to be like 50 years after World yeah. War Three or whatever. Yeah. Like any dispute between like uh, superpowers is basically handled by having them fight each other's robots. Yeah, I think they they said that war had been outlawed. I don't know how you do something like that, but <laughs> right. yeah. So anytime that like it's it sounds like it's the wild fucking west after World War Three, and it's like these different groups of people. I don't know if it's like America and Russia. That's what it kind of seemed like because of the Russian bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, paid, played by Paul Coslow. But, you know, anytime somebody wants to lay claim to something in the world, like, what are they fighting over in this movie? Is it Canada? Uh, Alaska. Alaska. So they're fighting over who gets Alaska, and it's all determined by basically, like, rock'em, sock'em robots with giant skyscraper-tall robots. Yeah. What's not to like? 
quite frankly. Yeah. And so basically the main character in this movie who is called Achilles, he has done nine robot fights and he's under contract from the company that he fights for to do 10 uh, total fights. And so they have a fight in the beginning and it's uh, it's deemed like a draw, like nobody won. And he he's saying like, well, I'm out now. I don't want to die doing this. I've done my 10 fights and that's it. And they're the, the company's trying to convince him to come back because he hasn't technically finished 10 fights because the 10th fight was a draw. Right. And in the meantime, there's a scientist who has started developing what they call tubies for short, mm-hmm. which is like test tube babies who are genetically designed to be like the best pilots. And right. so there's a specifically a female, young female pilot named Athena who is like one of the next in line to take over for uh, for Achilles as like the main fighter for this company. And One thing I liked, like a little detail, it was just how they used like the old Greek names for the characters. Well, the uh, original premise behind the story of this movie, like Stuart Gordon knew he wanted to make a movie about people fighting with giant robots, but mm-hmm. as his inspiration for the story, uh, he had the writer basically do a sci-fi adaptation of the Iliad. Oh, so look at that. That's where all those names come from I mean, because you got Achilles, Athena, Alexander. There's one or two other like recognizable yeah. names. From, Hercules is uh, someone right. I think that was killed. He was yeah the fighter in the the opening scene. Yeah, so it's cool that like they I don't know if they even like name the robots, but the names follow the people, which. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's, it's kind of different, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just like the, it feels like, it honestly 100% does feel like a, like a pilot episode for like a 80s, early 90s, Saturday morning cartoon like Transformers or something. Because mm-hmm. everything is very brightly colored, which is something that's different from how a movie like this, for example, Pacific Rim would be made nowadays. Nothing against Pacific Rim, but I just ha- love how bright and shiny and silver and white everything is in this like future society instead oh, totally. of everything being dark and dingy and like gunmetal, you know? Totally. And it just all feels really kind of corny and just complicated enough to not seem like utterly stupid. And it's, it's funny because uh, so the writer of this movie is a guy named Joe Haldeman who this is the only movie he's ever written, but he is a science fiction novelist and he's most well known for a series of books called The Forever War, which actually, as of this recording, is being developed as a movie franchise starring Channing Tatum. So we'll see if that comes to pass. But um, Haldeman was like serious about science fiction and came onto the project wanting to do like really complicated, serious kind of political and emotional storytelling and Stuart Gordon's angle was, no, I want to make like Saturday morning cartoons, like a movie for kids that adults can also enjoy. And Haldeman was the opposite. He wanted to make a movie for adults that kids could also enjoy because of the robots. And they they clashed over it. And I guess in the end, Stuart Gordon ended up winning out because the movie feels very much like a a silly kind of simple you know, it, like in G.I. Joe, you have like there's a guy that looks like a pirate and there's a guy who looks like a Texas Ranger. <laughs> right. And in this, it's like uh, the coach 
is always wearing a cowboy hat and he's like a kind of chubby guy yep. who talks with a Texas accent. And then His like the scientist Tex. who develops all of the weapons for the robots is an Asian guy, you know? Mm-hmm. So it just has that feel of like a Saturday morning cartoon, which is something yeah. that I also really dig about it. Absolutely. Um, interesting side note, right to my left on my desk, I have the Forever War comic. Oh, Joe Haldeman, the trade paperback I got yeah. from the library because I heard the art. The, I thought the art looked good. Is it Titan has been adapting that recently? It is. Yeah. How about that? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Small world, Mills. Anyways. Yeah. So pretty simple story. I do love this is one of those movies. I fucking love the way that it ends. It's not exactly a freeze frame, but just, you know, having like almost a twist and then the movie immediately it's ends. Close. Yeah, like the the main character Achilles and his arch rival Alexander, who's just played up to be kind of like, you know, a more smart alecky, smart alecky version of Dolph Lundgren in Rocky mm-hmm. Four, oh. almost. Oh yeah, Drago. Yeah, at the end of the movie, it's like not knock down, drag out fight. Both of their robots have been destroyed, and they're now on foot in the middle of the desert, surrounded by robot parts, like. You know, can hardly stand up because they're so tired and they're swinging fucking metal rods at each other. And then, like, they just kind of smile at each other and do their little, like, official robot jock, like, Mm -hmm. fist bump thing, giving the thumbs up. Crash and burn. And, yeah, crash and burn. (laughs) And then the movie ends. (laughs) And I just fucking love it. It leaves me with such a smile on my face. Well, you know, of course, we got plenty of, a good amount of, like, robot fighting. But, you know, of course I wanted more. So when it's, it's clear there's a point where that ends, I'm like, okay. But then it, like, segues immediately into a pipe fight. And I was like, I'm, I'm all right. Okay. Let's keep, keep this going. Yeah, I love that feel of it since the robots are so big that it, like, they were fighting with these giant robots. And now they're, like, just two guys amidst all the rubble, like, because mm-hmm. they just hate each other that much. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, you know, Achilles... I don't know what what he does to Alexander, but convinces him just to stop. Mm-hmm. Give your boy a fist bump. It's over. Yeah. I love that ending. And cue, the, cue the music. Yeah. And if they had done a sequel, what Stuart Gordon wanted to do was have uh, an alien invasion. Oh. And uh, Alexander and Achilles have to team up to fight the aliens with the robots. Oh, man. And how cool would that have been to see? That would have been nice because this is, this has some cool robots, so I can only imagine what some cool aliens would look like from this crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, I particularly liked uh, Achilles' robot because mm-hmm. I think because of the colors. Like I say, it's it's very like white and red, which just reminds you of like yeah. a colorful transformer instead of the all black, which makes sense because it's the bad guy. Yeah, for the other robot, it was cool. Um, even like Achilles' suit he wears inside of the robot. Mm-hmm. But I particularly liked, which is something that Pacific Rim does well too, is like actually shows how the robot's controlled yeah. by the user, which when you get to stuff like Power Rangers, you know, it's that that all that aspect is just thrown out the window. But this shows like, oh, you know, it's connected at the waist and you actually, it, you know, these parts of your body move because you're not actually on the floor and mm-hmm. Pacific Rim does the same thing. So like that's kind of like technical stuff I get into with this, like where it's not overly done. Yeah. Like I don't need to see completely how the sauce is made, but just give me a little something about how it might work. No, I'm with you a hundred percent. Yeah. I, so. I love all those little details. Yeah. And like, uh, 
the little controllers that they hold and the uh, the weapons designer like uh-huh. telling him over the the video monitor thing like what buttons do what for the new weapons and everything and yeah oh yeah I dig all of that yeah big time did you catch uh, Jeffrey Combs in there from the Reanimator small um, cameo part yes yes I did actually he was oh god who was he I did because he had the glasses right uh I don't think he had glasses. Oh. He's one of the two guys who like bets on one of the fights. Like they're just kind of two like street urchin guys. Oh, no, I miss that. Yeah, he's one of them just in I'm a thinking little, of somebody else, but I'm not sure. Little cameo role. Oh. Cool. Mm-hmm. I can dig it. Not a lot of recognizable faces in the cast. I mean, Paul Coslow, the villain, has been in some stuff. He was actually in the Omega Man, which we watched not too long ago. Mm. Mm-hmm. Dr. Matsumoto. Is also in Robot Wars, but <laughs> that's right. He is. He's he's been in other things too. Mm-hmm. He was in one of the uh, Karate Kid movies. I think maybe the second one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this was officially the most expensive film that Empire Pictures ever produced. Oh. Just kind of looking through my notes before we move on, because unlike the other two, I was actually able to find a fair amount of information about this one. The <laughs> other two are like obscure enough that there is not a lot out there about right. them. Mm-hmm. Oh, this I thought was cool, and I can totally see it now that I know. But Ron Cobb uh, is a concept designer for movies, and he designed the Nostromo and the Narcissus mm. and like all of that like stuff in the first Alien film. Yep. And he also did robot designs for this movie, and I can totally see it in Achilles' uh, robot. Yeah. Because... Something that I feel like I recognize in Ron Cobb's work is using uh, like red and white designs. Like there's a lot mm-hmm. of that with like the checkerboard logo pattern and alien and everything. Yeah. So. No, that's cool. That's a good. Yeah, because when I'm actually like looking at some photos of some of the kind of more up close shots you get, it's cer- you certainly got a overall like spaceshipy design. Mm-hmm. Which is good, too, because it makes them like look like solid, like they actually like could be functioning things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the designs of the robots right down to, what do you think of the uh, the chainsaw penis? Oh, I mean, that's go- going way back. I'll, I'll remember that one forever, you know? Like, that is actually something me, I forgot when it happened. I, I had a uh, good laugh. No, if you would have asked, because I always remembered uh, it had a bunch of legs and it had the, uh, the uh, saw blade. And the rocket fist. I always remember the rocket fist. Mm-hmm. I had forgot that the rocket fist goes haywire and knocks Achilles into a, a crowd's a stand full of people. Mm-hmm. I did forget that part. Uh, fun fact. Uh, there's a song on uh, the Nine Inch Nails album, The Downward Spiral, which Trent Reznor uh, sampled the screams of the people being crushed in that scene of this movie for that song, for a song on that album. That's amazing. It's just a weird thing you read online. (laughs) Very. Or like watching this movie, but like, wait, you know, get me a grab of that audio. I'm going to need that for this song. (laughs) I wonder if there was any influence from this movie on the Incredibles, because as I was watching this, they introduced the idea of the rocket fist early on. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, the uh, the arm with the rocket oh, fist has been yeah. torn off, and then Achilles uses it against Alexander, mm-hmm. just like they use the uh, the rocket claw against the robot at the end of uh, the Incredibles. Oh, 
I would love for that to be true. <laughs> That's all I could yeah. think watching it this time. Millsy, if we if uh, Triple Threat ever hits the road and we start going to shows and interviewing people, we got to get Brad Bird. One question. <laughs> that would be Mr. Bird. Terrible. One question. Get Brad Bird and uh, and Stuart Gordon in a room together. That'd be great. <laughs> And uh, the one other tidbit that I have here is from the writer of the movie, Joe Haldeman. About the film, he said, To me, it's as if I had a child who started out well and then sustained brain damage. Oh, damn. (laughs) Because he was not happy with the the corny direction that the movie went. What are you going to do? Never write another movie again, I guess. Yeah. Still has a place in history, Mr. Halderman. Yeah. At least for these two guys. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else to say about Robot Jocks before we move on? Uh, it's probably time to move on. <laughs> We're getting long in the tooth here. All right. Next up, we have either from or also from 1990, uh, <laughs> Crash and Burn. In the year 2035... A corporate power will rule our nation with terror. Using a secret army of synthetic humans, they will destroy all who oppose them. But a small outpost of rebels will fight their killing machine By reviving a weapon from their past, they will wage the final battle for our future. So, yeah, this one, like we both said, first one we watched just by chance. Mm-hmm. Um, this just happens to be the first of the two movies on the, the box set that I have. And um, I will say that I was disappointed by the amount of giant robot in the movie. Mm-hmm. But um, by the second half, like the first half, I was kind of bored by it. Second half, I kind of got into a little more. It's still... It's a few steps below robot shocks. Yeah, it certainly. Um, pretty. I I I would agree. First half's pretty boring. I kind of had a feeling. I think by the by the second half for sure, I was like, oh, I'm getting very little giant robots here. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know they already talked about that one that doesn't really work. I was like, oh, okay, there's gonna be just like very little here. So I kind of managed my expectations. Mm-hmm. Again, well, you know. Watching this first, seeing the names, then getting to Robot Jocks and being the the whole crash and burn line <laughs> is from Robot Jocks, but then yeah. it's the name of this. I was like, okay. I was like, all right, there's some connective tissue here somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that in certain places this one is known as Robot Jocks 2 Crash and Burn. Uh okay. <laughs> so yeah, nothing story wise, nothing. Yeah, nothing story wise connects though. So this one is from what I could gather, the backstory to this one was a little complicated, but um, there was like some kind of major catastrophe involving like an economic crisis in the U.S. From what I yep. could gather, 
And so the U.S. government falls apart, and there's a company called Unicom who has basically taken over running the country. And so that this economic crisis doesn't happen again, they've outlawed robots and they've outlawed personal use of computers. It's like no one's allowed to use computers. And I guess going along with whatever crisis happened, uh, the ozone layer is depleted and it's not safe to be outside for too long because of UV radiation. Thermal storms. Thermal storms, right. Thermals, yeah. I forgot. That that new, the new, the new jam, thermal storms. <laughs> uh, well, also that like the guy with all the boils on his face at the gas station had like those glasses with the little blinky red lights that I think they mentioned <laughs> were to protect him from the UV, but. Yeah. Either way. Uh, so basically this is a movie like many other low budget films I've seen where uh, they basically found a location that was interesting looking and probably cheap to rent and then just set the entire film there because the whole thing takes place in what looks like some kind of like foundry or factory with just like pipes and catwalks everywhere. Yeah. It's totally like an after hours factory. Yeah. And they just set the entire movie there. It's supposed to be like a television studio or something. Uh-huh. I don't I don't fully understand it, but basically uh, there, the main character is a delivery guy who works for Unicom, this big organization, and he's delivering like Freon or something to this little television studio that just broadcasts shitty TV shows. And um, there is some kind of resistance group that wants to fight back against Unicom, and it turns out that the old guy that runs this television station is secretly one of these like resistance fighters. And so it's actually more like Terminator than anything. Uh, Unicom has these robots that are disguised to look like humans, just like a Terminator and has sent at least one, or as we eventually find out two, to infiltrate this uh, television station and knock off the old guy. And it just so happens that the main character is there at the same time doing his delivery, and he becomes the hunky hero. Mm. Correctamundo. So, quick question. Hit it. Did you recognize any of the cast of this film? Uh, no. I recognized two people. Uh, first is the fat dude who's kind of an asshole TV host. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> but I can't. I don't know his name. His name is Jack McGee. He's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, recently, he's been in stuff like Moneyball and Gangster Squad and The Fighter. Mm-hmm. The thing that I will always remember him as is a single scene that he appeared in an episode of Seinfeld uh, as a construction worker when George accidentally drops his keys in a pothole that is then paved over, and he's got to get some help jackhammering his keys out of this pothole. But he, then, this is his second appearance on Triple Threat Theater Mills. What else was he in that uh, we watched? He was the fire truck operator in Backdraft. Oh, I didn't remember oh. that. Uh-huh. And then the other person who I recognized, I didn't know he was in this going in, but I was kind of excited. And I recognized him more for his voice than anything, because he's got a kind of distinct voice, and I've listened to him on a couple of podcasts even though he normally looks like all fucked up in movies is Bill Mosley plays Quinn, the 
main evil robot mm. cyborg person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he is most well known for uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. He plays Chop Top. And he's Otis, a member of the Firefly, uh, Firefly family in all of the House of a Thousand Corpses, yeah. Devil's Reject I, movies. I, I do know him from that. He is in a fucking million like horror genre films, most of them super low budget and obscure, but uh, he's broken through a little bit in some stuff. And I dug him as a, as a villain because he has like a very kind of over-the-top acting style, mm-hmm. which isn't too surprising coming from the guy who played Chop Top. <laughs> Right. But uh, yeah, I liked him in this. Uh, just the evil looks and the big smile. And Yeah, no, he played it, he played it uh, creepy and weird. I'll give him that. I mean, for sure, when he reveals himself as being the bad guy, it the movie takes a turn. And it, it doesn't necessarily get better, but it was far more entertaining to watch than the first yeah. half where it was just like, I don't, I don't really even know what to say was happening in the first half of the movie. It no, was so slow. It was kind of just like... Spinning its wheels, really. Yeah, just like and a lot was... of scenes of characters spitting ep- exposition about, like, Unicom yeah. and all this stuff at one right. another that wasn't all that interesting. Right. We were just kind of like, get on with it. And, yep. of course, I'm like, where's the robots? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, okay. Here we go. It's small robots. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit of cool, like, facial prosthetic stuff. Um, it's obviously never as good as something like Terminator, but, uh, you know, you have him running around as, like, a crazy killer robot. Mm-hmm. And then when we get the actual giant robot, it's only very briefly. It's like a five-minute scene. Ooh, uh, that's even being generous. (laughs) And actual screen time, I'd be surprised if it was even 60 seconds. I Yeah, I would agree. I think that they stretched the scene out into about five minutes. But if there's 60 seconds of screen time for that thing when it's active, maybe 15 seconds of that is actually stop motion. Most <laughs> right. of it is what we talked about before, where it's just like cropping part of the robot so that they don't have to do stop motion because they can be, you know, moving it from off camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's it's kind of disappointing when you go into the movie it, for uh, the giant robot. Yeah. But. You know, it makes sense to include it here, of course. But it is it was funny to watch how the amount of roboting ramped up, especially in the, you know, in the uh, order that we watched them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because after watching this one, I knew that there was a lot of robot action and robot jocks, but I hadn't watched Robot Wars yet, and I was thinking, oh, man, I hope Robot Wars has more robot (laughs) action than this. We might have been having the same thoughts at the same times, just hundreds of miles away from each other. I think that 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 sounds pretty accurate. (laughs) (laughs) The young girl, the the plucky young Mm co-lead, I didn't recognize her from anything, but she's actually been in a fair amount of stuff too. She's okay. uh, either the female lead or one of the female leads in Encino Man, PCU, oh and Joe's Apartment. Holy boy. She's That's also- That's a trifecta. <laughs> hey, there's, there's an idea. <laughs> the Megan Ward trio. Mm-hmm. And she's also in one of the like made-for-TV or direct-to-video Amityville horror sequels. That I not too long ago watched because I got the box set from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, she's in Amityville 1992. It's about time as the older sister. Okay. So I thought that was kind of cool. I like it. And she was also on 364 episodes of General Hospital. Ooh, that's a lot. Yes. And it's just funny that there's a lot of like, you know, no name actors and actresses in these three movies that we're watching. 
And uh, between all of them, there's probably about 2,000 episodes of, what do you call it, um, daytime soap operas between them. <laughs> because, like, even Barbara Crampton, who is a scream uh, queen, she's in, like, Reanimator from Beyond and a bunch of other stuff. Even she was a regular or recurring character on four different uh, soap operas in her career. Come on. Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. Oh, Jesus. But I just thought that was funny as I was looking up all these people to be like, do I know them from anything? It was just consistently. Almost everybody was on JAG for a couple of episodes. Uh, a lot of them have been on like CSI shows and then tons of daytime soap operas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, uh, the teacher woman who turns out to be the second robot in this, uh, she was on 135 episodes of All My Children. Oh. I mean, I couldn't tell you if that meant that was like seven seasons or three seasons of those shows. I feel like soap operas are just on forever. Yeah, I know they do a lot of episodes, but um, All right. now you know. So was there anything particularly noteworthy or stand out about this one for you? Like, it's I mean, in all honesty, it's kind of lackluster. You yeah. know, it, it fit, it's just because I mean, there's part of it's the expectation, which I did manage at one point. But. You know, it still kind of just like left me wanting more. I was like, it wasn't like the worst thing I've ever seen for sure. I mean, that's still a Braxis. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hands down. That is going to be tough to beat. Um, you know, I get this This felt very like of the time. It felt very 1990, you know, for all the, all that, all you can take away from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, whereas like, whereas Robot Jocks was a low budget film. Yeah. Uh, this is a really... Right. Really low budget film. And even like, even like where you get, like, you got your low budgets for sure, which this is certainly lower. At least like Robot Jocks is a low low budget movie that tries, where this one is just kind of, you know, going through the paces. Yeah. um, Robot Jocks is a movie that feels like someone had a vision and they tried to bring it to fruition with maybe not all of the resources that they could have used. And they were, you know, partially Mm -hmm. successful. This does just feel like one of those movies, like, it almost feels like the story that's in the movie is just there because they had to have a story in it. Like, I don't know what the impetus for making a movie like this is because it's it's derivative of a lot of other things. And I guess at the time, I guess I really do know the reasoning. It was for the home video market because this and Robot right. Wars both went direct to video. Yeah. And at that time, uh, in like the 80s and the early 90s when... VHS and VCRs and, you know, renting movies was very popular. People were just clamoring to have shit to throw onto the shelves in video yep. stores. So, And like a lot of things, it's just all about the box art. Yeah. You know? Which like does this... prominently feature a giant robot, which oh, yeah. is kind of oh, misleading. Yeah. Well, just, you know, this feels like almost like, for whatever reason, it made me think of like the Saw sequels. I always heard like, they took a script from some other kind of movie and just like dumped some extra spice on it and turned it into a Saw movie so they could get it out as quick as possible. Yeah. You know, it feels like that was this Robot Shocks, and especially because similar people were involved. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, we got this like easy to film one location sci fi movie that we can stick, you know, oh, we still got one, you know, we got one, <laughs> uh, a stop motion puppet for a robot we didn't use in robot jocks. We could put it in the end of this. And, uh, 
There you go, Robot Jocks 2. Yeah, it really does feel like this could have just been a script for like a low-budget kind of Terminator knockoff. And oh, then totally. they someone said, you know, if we spent like an extra $10,000 and did one scene of a stop-motion giant robot so we could put it on the poster or the, the box art, that would probably rent more tapes than... Yeah. Just a picture of like Bill Mosley with half of his face ripped off. One hundred percent. I feel like that's that was the easiest decision for them to make at that time. Yeah, because the giant robot is completely inconsequential to everything in the movie. Yeah. It, it just yeah. it does kind of just feel tacked on. Yeah, it doesn't even make sense in that world that they're trying that to. That they build would have giant wide. robots like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it like the girl like operates the robot. I mean, what is it like picks up a piece of scaffolding and then it just falls over and dies? Yeah, it just like falls apart because it's old and it's been sitting out there forever doing right. nothing. Right. I would say uh, Robot Jocks stuffs this movie into a locker. <laughs> yes, I would agree. <laughs> it's funny, like we're talking about all the things that this is kind of knocking off. Like you've got a little bit of Robot Jocks influence in there. You've got uh, Terminator influence in there for sure. This also, interestingly enough, has a knockoff slash homage to John Carpenter's The Thing as well with the blood test scene. Oh, you're right. Because it's like... It certainly does. I guess in this world, um, it's never fully explained, but there are these android robot people that look just like humans and they think that there's one among them. And so they all cut themselves just like in The Thing, like cut a finger uh, instead of like testing the blood, they're just basically seeing if they bleed. And mm-hmm. the funny thing is, they never show uh, Bill Mosley cut himself, and you never see his like finger after he cut himself. But I was thinking to myself, okay, well, he is the robot. So if they think that the robots don't have blood, how does he like trick them? Right. Because he obviously does just have blood. Kind of like a Terminator does. I, that it just didn't make any sense. Like they yeah, they tried the, to do this scene, but there wasn't the right logic behind it or something. Yeah, there's a throwaway line about it later because like how the other guy gets like an infection or something. But I did kind of like that. That was something a little different. Yeah, sure. Yes, but that that felt like the only way they could try to explain any of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a couple scenes of people firing shotguns at a robot. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, not a this one definitely not super duper memorable. Yeah, especially when you're uh, doing the thing we do here and then c- comparing and contrasting, it's when you see the cracks are showing on yeah. this one. You know. And yeah, like I said, very little information about this one out there in the world to find and I looked um couldn't find any budget. Uh, obviously there was no box office for this. I would love to know how it did on the uh the rental mm-hmm. shelves. Especially since, you know, Robot Jocks came first and then this one. And then Charlie Band tried yet again with uh, Robot Wars a couple years later. So mm-hmm. I imagine that this movie must have done okay for him. Something. Yeah. Um, you know, one point I wanted to make too. These three movies, possibly altogether the shortest runtime overall <laughs> of, an of episode any episode. For sure. Yeah. I mean, one of these is like 72 minutes long. Well, I happen to have the box for Robot Wars and Crash and Burn right here in front of me. 
does it tell me the time? Okay, so Crash and Burn is 85 minutes and Robot Wars is 80 minutes. Oh, yeah. And then Robot Jocks <laughs> is maybe 90. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, I mean, we've had some short short ones, especially uh, uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, I think. Right, was a yeah. Short, big time, but overall, this got to be our shortest overall runtime. Yeah, I think you might be right. I'm not complaining because, you know, we love a 90-minute movie here at Triple Threat. Mm-hmm. Well, a movie like this, you know, you get in, you get out. I feel like that's kind of the problem with some big blockbusters today is, like, every movie doesn't need to be two hours and 20 minutes long. No. You know, you got something either. like Avengers Endgame. You got a lot to accomplish in that movie. Sure, it's going to be long, but then, you know, your average action movie, Terminator sequel, whatever, doesn't they don't all need to be, like, two hours and five minutes or something. Correct. I agree completely. But I digress. Mm. Anything else to say about Crash and Burn before no. we move on to our final film? Let's move on. All right. So next up we have Robot Wars from 1993. In our distant future. A nation at war. Intruders at marker 474, sir. I want you to turn the intruders into stains. Will discover its strongest ally. Our borders are not in dispute. The Eastern Alliance is on our side. Has become their deadliest enemy. This proves that the Centros are firing us with weapons made by the Eastern Alliance. And now, two rival champions. We meet again, Captain Drake. Yeah. Would it? Must battle for supremacy. Captain Wally has commandeered the robots. In the ultimate killing machines. I told you we meet again, Captain Drake. of Robot Chunks. And hallelujah. Not a lot of robot fighting, but there is a fair amount of stop-motion robots in this. There is a there's a lot of Scorpion robot. Yeah. Moving about. Which was a cool-looking robot. Yeah, totally. Looks I mean, looks pretty accurate from the poster, which is what again what I knew from growing up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they got it animated quite a quite a bit in this movie. Yeah. Uh, so there are two giant robots in this film. One is the giant scorpion robot, which is pretty cool looking. And then there is a bipedal robot like the ones we've seen before. Did you recognize this robot from anywhere? Uh, no. No, I didn't. This is the same exact robot from Crash and Burn, but with a couple of alterations. <laughs> no. I was watching the movie and uh, specifically, as we mentioned in Crash and Burn... Uh, you don't see a whole lot of the giant robot, and most of the scene that it's in is just a close-up on the legs as it's walking, which isn't stop-motion because they probably just had a guy holding the legs and, like, moving them out off uh, frame. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, you, of anything, you got a good long look at the legs of that robot in Crash and Burn. 
And so I'm watching Robot Wars, and when that robot shows up at the end, the bipedal one, I'm like, those legs look just like the one from the other movie. <laughs> and so I looked up a picture on my phone of the one from Crash and Burn, and I'm like watching Robot Wars and looking back and forth at my phone, and I'm like, those sons of bitches just used the same robot. They put a like a head on it. The one in Crash mm-hmm. and Burn didn't really have a head. It was just kind of like flat on the top. Oh, see, and that's like something from Robot Jocks because – I don't mean the same thing. I just mean like that kind of style mm-hmm. of not having a, a freestanding head. Yeah, this one, they gave it a head and then they added some extra shit to the arms. But otherwise, it is the exact same uh, puppet from Crash and Burn. That's kind of hilarious because basically the, the joke I was making about Crash and Burn about them just having a robot sitting around. Yeah, that's what they this. did for Robot Wars. <laughs> like we got enough budget for one, so let's make a pretty good Scorpion robot, but. Dust off that shitbox from Crash and Bird. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Wow, it's pretty good. But uh, yet again, uh, this film takes place in the distant enough, but not too distant future. I think in this one they specifically say that there was like World War Three or whatever happened in 1993. Because mm-hmm. at this point, it's like we've rebuilt society and it's kind of not safe to go outside of these certain cities and zones, but um, there is a town that is perfectly preserved from like the way the world used to be back in 1993 before the fall of civilization. And so I think this is supposed to be like the year 2041. So like 50 ish years in the future. And uh, basically I guess back, I guess at some point we had giant robots and battles were fought with them, but now there's only the one left and it's uh, like mega robot two, I think is what they call it. It's the, Mm -hmm. the spider, the scorpion robot. And now that the war is over, they just use it as like a fun method of transportation. Like, Oh, I want to go ride in the robot. (laughs) Kind of just transport. Yeah, like back and forth to the the city of yesteryear, which is kind of yeah. like a a tourist attraction kind of thing. Yeah, back and forth to the budget saver for the movie. <laughs> yeah, just a normal American town from <laughs> yeah. the year the film was made. Uh-huh. And um, the crux of the plot in this movie is that uh, there are some Japanese bigwigs who have come to wherever this movie takes place, someplace in America. And uh, they, the company that made the giant robots is like losing money because there's no wars going on where they can make more giant robots for profit now. Mm -hmm. So they've decided they're using this one robot they have left as kind of a form of entertainment. And the Japanese want to pay this company to make some similar robots for them to use for entertainment in their country. And uh, so they're working on a deal with these Japanese investors where they don't want to give them like the advantage if a conflict ever breaks out. So they're going to make robots that are half the size of the one that we have. Right. Without as many weapons, I think. Yeah. But as it turns out, the main Japanese investor who's played by the weapons designer from Mm -hmm. Robot Jocks, uh, his plan the whole time is since we only have the one robot he's going to steal that one robot from us and then do what i don't know i guess yeah uh, take over not, i or yeah, not, i don't not know the, 
you can't expect much, but actually the story of this one, I think, is the most overly complicated and, and then thus makes the least sense because they don't explain a lot of things. Yeah. Because for some reason, underneath uh, Budget Savings Town, the Mega Robot 1 yeah, that has part been stashed. I don't understand at all. They talk about, they, they say that the other robot had been dismantled and buried, like, and I assumed in different pieces. But with a giant robot like that, how do you even do that secretly? And how do you bury it under a town that has been yeah, perfectly that, preserved? That's been unchanged. I, I yeah. do not, not understand like, that. They never say like they rebuilt a town in like the style of an old town. They just say it was it's there and unchanged. Mm. So they they burrowed underneath and actually put a complete robot underneath Main Street. I guess question mark. And so I don't know. One of the leads is Barbara Crampton, aforementioned from Reanimator, just one of my favorite scream queens in the biz. Mm-hmm. And she has like done some snooping and found these unusual like tunnels under the city from 1993. And her investigative journalist friend comes, and their plan is to take a a little like fake tourist trip to the town and then sneak into those tunnels underground and figure out what's going on. Turns out that comes into play later because that is where the mega robot one has been stashed all this time for some reason that we right. don't fully understand. Yeah. But like, I don't think anyone really knows uh, our second lead stumpy seems to be the only one know- that knows that robots <laughs> underneath there. Stumpy. Like the actual like generals don't know that the, the thing they need to fight the stolen scorpion bot mm-hmm. just happens to be intact, completely underground. Yeah. And I forgot as well uh, until just this moment that there's kind of a a group of outliers who wear funny clothes and shoot laser guns. And yeah. they are just kind of a nuisance. But like the, the Tuscan Raiders. Of yeah, Robot basically. Wars. And the Japanese guy has united with them somehow. I don't know. Plot doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, the thing doesn't. I will say is that this movie doesn't look as good and isn't as fun as Robot Jocks, but it's in that ballpark. For sure. I like the bright, shiny, kind of silly looking, futuristic look of everything. Yeah. There's some, it's, it's all in daylight, yep. you know? There's, when you do get shots of the scorpion bot, it's pretty cool. Yeah, plenty of scorpion robot too, and yeah. he's cool looking. And like well animated, mm-hmm. the one Very thing well the one the one thing I was, was so jarring for me watching it, I was like, Scorpion looks cool, is animated really well, but then when they try to match it up with like what uh, our goofy lead uh, Drake is doing in the cockpit to go mm-hmm. along with piloting, was like pretty laughable oh, yeah. because he's just like he's just like hammering the same switch over and over and he's just like <laughs> ripping on a joystick and shaking the whole camera shaking the entire time it's like whenever they show you like the passenger compartment in this scorpion bot like i think every person on there would have whiplash you know what i mean mm-hmm. like they overdo it for all the human shots it's kind of like too bad really yeah i'm like even when he's trying to wake up like mega robot one and i swear to god milzy for a solid three minutes, he's just like clicking the same, <laughs> the same like rocker switch up and down, up and down, up and down, <laughs> while Barbara Crampton's just like sitting there watching. Yeah, it's, 
And Stumpy's like in the catacombs somewhere trying to get the thing going. He's just hammering that one button over and over again. I was like, when is this going to end? Turn this thing on, please. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of senseless button flipping. Big time. Big, big time. The big fight at the end isn't even like the most impressive thing in the world. Again, doesn't come close to robot jugs. It's over fast. Yeah. But I just do appreciate the amount of robot and the amount of stop motion that was in this movie. It's For definitely sure. on the lower end of quality compared to yeah. robot jocks, but pretty, higher pretty than entertaining. Just like even though the core premise and like the villain's motivation, I didn't fully understand, like the world felt a little more fleshed out and it wasn't all that talk about like the economic collapse and the Unicom mm-hmm. company and outlawing computers yeah. and all that shit that I just I, it was either it didn't make a lot of sense or I was so kind of bored by Crash and Burn that I didn't really. Yeah catch it all it's just it's just more interesting yeah this one's more you know, simple and just like right entertaining to watch yeah i'm just i'm very glad i watched these in the order i did which i'm sure you would say the same yeah it was just kind of going from you know uh lowest objective quality yeah. to best right like if robot jocks is stuffing crash and burn in a locker it's like really maybe only stealing robot wars is lunch money like amazing <laughs> best metaphor ever. <laughs> that's the way i uh, see that but yeah so i mean like barbara crampton just being in this movie immediately elevates it for me as well because she's like an actual actress mm-hmm. whereas you know the the two leads in crash and burn specifically were not particularly great right. i know um also in Robot Wars is Lisa Rinna, who I, I kind of just one of those actresses I just always thought was just is famous for being famous. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what she's best known for. Well, she was on 346 episodes of Days of Our Lives. Oh, okay. Is that her main claim to fame? <laughs> she was like also just... in Melrose Place. Okay, maybe that's it. But you want to know her real claim to fame? I do. She was the female lead in the made-for-TV Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. movie starring David Hasselhoff. Oh, you are right. What was her character name? Oh, God. It was like, I didn't write it down, but it was like super long. Oh, Ooh, boy. A lot of are you ready for this? Oh, I got it here. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. This seems like a joke. Contessa Valentina del Allegro Fontaine. <laughs> uh, I don't know her from the comics. No, but I'll tell you one thing, Milzy. Once I'm done with this trifecta, you'll know it for the show. <laughs> yes. Made for TV Marvel movies. Okay. <laughs> Generation X? Oh, no. <laughs> Don't do it to me. <laughs> oh, it has to happen now. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> All right. So... Now I have to reveal to you my favorite thing that I discovered while researching these movies for this episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, The lead actor of this movie who plays Drake. Mm. Yes. Don Michael Paul. Did you recognize him? No. Do you know anything about him? No, I was annoyed by him for most of the movie. Um, Sounds like a troublemaker with a name like that. Anytime you got three names, you know you're in for it. His character is just like an obnoxious asshole. Like, oh, big time. That kind of obnoxious asshole who thinks that, like, 
oh, girls like it when I act like a complete jerk like Ugh. this. But yeah. by the end, you are like, why would Barbara Crampton make out with this yeah. son of a bitch? Yeah, because it's a movie. That's the only reason. Yeah. So you have actually seen something else with him in it, at least part of something else with him in it. Oh, boy. Give me a clue. <laughs> we watched it together, and we didn't finish the film. Oh, boy. I mean, that narrows it down a lot, but... It should jump out to me, but it's not. <laughs> uh, last year, Brian and I, friend of the show, uh, came to visit you guys up in Boston, and we all took a little road trip to the Archive, which is the brick-and-mortar oh. location run by Vinegar Syndrome. Uh-huh. And we all bought a bunch of movies, and then the one movie that we started watching and didn't finish because we oh. had to go to the airport the next day is a movie called Rolling Vengeance. He's the lead. He's in the lead Vengeance. in Rolling Vengeance, but that's oh, not even the thing that I love about this guy the most. <laughs> uh, that was the only other movie that jumped out to me on his list of acting credits. Turns out, this guy is also a writer and a director. Come on, this is crazy to me. Uh, he wrote the movie Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Oh, that's one of your favorites. That movie sucks. <laughs> And it makes no fucking sense. Uh But it's just crazy. That movie is pretty old at this point. Yeah. The vast majority of the other stuff that he's done is within like the last 10 to 15 years. Let me just list off for you some of the things that this guy has written and directed. Hit it. He wrote and directed Half Past Dead starring Steven Seagal and Ja Rule. Oof. He also wrote but did not direct the sequel. Yikes. Next up, he directed Lake Placid, The Final Chapter, which is the fourth of six <sighs> Lake Placid movies. No. Yes. The fourth That's one so... is called The Final Chapter. That's so Lake Placid of it to be called The Final Chapter, right in the middle. <laughs> and he didn't have anything to do with the fifth one, but I learned through looking him up that the fifth Lake Placid movie is called Crocodile versus Anaconda. Oof. <laughs> uh, next up, he directed Jarhead 2, Field of Fire. Dude, is he just like Mr. Direct-to-DVD sequel guy? Yes, he yes. is. And there's more. <laughs> yes. He skipped Jarhead 3 and went on to direct and write Jarhead 4, Law of Return. There's so many jarheads. I don't know. Some of these franchises, I just don't know why there's so fucking many of them. <laughs> then he directed Tremors 5 Bloodlines. Oh, boy almighty. And Tremors A Cold Day in Hell, which is the sixth one. And he is currently directing Tremors Island Fury. Jesus. Which will be the seventh one. Of course. Also... In 2016, he directed Kindergarten Cop 2, starring Dolph Lundgren. Is this a joke? Mil- Mil- I swear this is true. Did you just start coming up with your own titles to throw in here so I could just be like, oh my god, I can't As it. I read through his IMDb, my mind was just fucking exploding. I could not believe it. I mean, this guy's getting steady work. Yes. Garbage work, but steady work. Well, it pays, I guess. Death Race 4... Beyond Anarchy. Oh. 
Wait a minute, is that like a fourth sequel to like the remake or the original? I honestly don't know. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? I think it's probably sequels to the Jason Statham one, but I'm not positive. I gotta know more. The Scorpion King Book of Souls, which oh, is boy. the fourth Scorpion King movie. Millsy. <laughs> They made four is Scorpion that, Is that an unsubstantiated claim? I can't believe there's four of those. Yeah, that came out in 2018. Most recently. These are like all like movies paid for strictly by Redbox, I think. <laughs> you may be right. This one, this is maybe the most unbelievable of all to me. Have you ever seen the Adam Sandler, Damon Wayans movie Bulletproof? Yes. From like the mid 90s. It's like an action comedy. Of course. Damon totally. Wayans is a cop and Adam oh, Sandler is yeah. like a criminal and they're buddies and they fight and they shoot people. Yeah, without a doubt. This guy, Don Michael Paul, directed Bulletproof 2. Who would have ever thought Bulletproof would get a what? sequel? And it just came out January of this year. And. Come on recasting the roles it's the same two characters uh, from what i could tell it's not like a different white guy and black guy it's supposed to be the adam sandler and damon wayne's characters the damon wayne's character is played by a dude from friday who played a character called big worm he's kind of a fat dude oh yeah i think i know the answer to this did you ever watch parks and recreation of course do you remember sewage joe the guy who was in charge of the like the sewage part of parks and rec or of the the local government (laughs) i don't know sewage joe plays the adam sandler character in this movie it's fucking sewage joe from parks and rec and big worm from friday oh billsy we have to watch that i mean what the fuck sewage joe is like one of the lead (laughs) characters in a movie oh god hmm this is amazing. I just could not believe that rabbit hole that I went down. Wow. I mean, that guy's like prolific. Yeah. He's constantly working. I'd love to know what he gets paid as a director for one of these things, but man, guys made three Tremors movies. <laughs> I mean, he's doing something right, Mills. Maybe he can just keep things on budget and on time. Sometimes I guess that's so. enough. Yeah. Just what a crazy thing, though. Like, Watch Robot Wars. He's the main character in it. He's the main character in Rolling Vengeance, which I also happen to have a connection to. And then, like, it's it's even just weird. Okay, he's directing all of these modern direct-to-video movies. Fine, but then he also wrote Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Like back in the what was that late eighties, early nineties? Yeah, that's probably like a mid to early nineties. Just how fucking weird is that, man? That's beyond weird. Don Michael Paul out there getting it done. He's like, you know, I made my, I got my stamp on movies in front of the camera with Robot Wars. It's time to move behind the camera. Yeah. And make every possible direct-to-DVD sequel I could think of. (laughs) It does make you wonder, like, why do there have to be so many Jarhead films? Like, if they're movies about just, like, modern military I, people, yeah, why like, are they, why, like, what is it to the Jarhead name that they think, like, oh, that's going to get us more views? Yeah, Have you seen Jarhead? I have. It's, like, barely uh, 
It's not even an action movie. Yeah. I mean, for all I know, Jarhead 2, 3, and 4 aren't action movies either, but I am inclined uh, to think that they are because they're direct-to-video. Yeah, I've got a feeling there. They changed things up quite a bit there. Yeah. He also directed, I, I forget which one, but one of the recent Sniper sequels starring Tom Berenger. Oh, and Tom Berenger's in it? I think so. Oh, man. Might have to watch that, too. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. The Life and Times of Don Michael Paul. Unreal. Well done, Mills. <laughs> yeah. Fell ass backwards into that one. Yeah. Anything else profound to say about Robot Wars? Oof. I feel like we've just about covered it. Yeah. Not a whole lot else to say about that one. It's a relatively yeah. enjoyable film. Yeah. I concur. So uh, that brings us to the end of our trio. Indeed. Which means it's time to look at some posters. Oh, yes, please. So for Robot Jocks, the one that I feel like everyone is more familiar with, because it was probably like the VHS box cover, uh, features two robots on it, but we're going to be talking about the theatrical poster. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I commented this to you right before we started the show, but just imagine 1989, 1990, Five, six-year-old me, seven, eight-year-old Dax walking mm-hmm. into a theater and seeing this poster on the wall back in the days when, like, a movie would be in the theater and you had no idea it was coming because we didn't have the internet. Yeah. How All fucking day. cool is this poster? <laughs> All day. It's awesome. It is a painting, and it is a giant robot suit, pretty much all in silhouette because there's a huge explosion behind it. And the tagline says, the ultimate killing machine, part man, part metal, robot jocks. Which is kind of misleading. Yeah, I'll agree. It makes it sound like but, it's a cyborg situation. But. Yeah. Well, more of just like a the killing machine part. You know, there's no, you know, I don't know if it doesn't make more sense to be like giant boxing robot almost. <laughs> you well, know? I prefer that tagline to the other one on the other poster. Two men, two, two men. machines, too wild. Yeah. little, little silly for me. Yeah. Just a little much. But yeah, just, yeah. Uh, that's a that's a captivating image. Like, just imagining being a kid and walking into a theater and mm-hmm. seeing that poster, I would be fucking yeah. gung-ho. And I wasn't even, get... like I said, like a big robot kid. Mm-hmm. Well, take it from me, because I know the VHS one very much, to which that certainly is a, oh, yep, got to see that. That's That still carries over to this theatrical poster, too, because it is cool. Yeah. Big fan. I just love a painting like that. Yeah, man. It's a beaut. Moving on to Crash and Burn. So Crash and Burn and Robot Wars came out on VHS direct. So there were no quote unquote posters. So we're just going by the VHS box covers. And Crash and Burn, I mean, they're prominently featuring that robot, which hardly appears in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, they've got all the other parts of the movie. Two main leads, the villain, robot. Even got that satellite dish thing in the background. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got those aspects covered. Yeah, it is just, so I'm guess I suppose that's a painting of the robot. Yeah, I'd say so. But then you've got kind of like the, you know, predating Photoshop version of just like cropping a photo of the leads and slapping it in the mm-hmm. foreground. And then the shot on the side of, I suppose that's supposed to be Bill Mosley with the explosion behind him. Right. Like that's like a little painting or something just feels kind of out of place. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's definitely, like, on a different plane of existence than the other <laughs> two. Like. Yeah. So it, it 
definitely looks like a montage, but I don't think it's supposed to be one. It's hard. Yeah, it certainly is three separate parts in different perspectives from each other. But I feel like they put it together to try to make you think he's shooting at them, even though they're looking in an opposite direction. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's very weird. Like... For all intents and purposes, it's not like the worst thing I've ever seen. I've we've definitely yeah. talked about worse or more boring posters on this yeah. show. But uh, you know, like the orange sky is cool looking in the background right. with the mostly silhouetted robot there. Yeah. This is unoffensive, which is not a compliment. Yeah, but it's not like super inspired either. Right. And then gosh, that tagline being in dark gray on top of the orangish black sky, it's hard as shit to read. Yeah, I'm just seeing that uh, now for the time. The weapons of the future are... Alive? Is that what it says? I think so. Yeah, that was a poor choice. Yeah, it was dumb. I mean, that even... The poster spoils... The twist the that movie, there's yeah. a... The twist, yeah. Like a robot disguised as a human, I guess. Yeah, but what are you going to do when it's this is what you got? Yeah, I mean, really... For all intents and purposes, this image was created to draw the attention of the consumer on a shelf. And especially at that time, I can mm-hmm. I can see it accomplishing that goal. Right. It's not like the best piece of artwork, but Yeah. I gotcha. Conversely, Robot Wars. I mean, I'm gonna tell you right now. This Robot Wars post is kinda awesome. It's pretty fucking great, actually. I mean it's <laughs> It's got a little bit of everything, Milsey. It's got a blown up tank, a pyramid, uh, <laughs> an earthquake, lightning, and two robots fighting. Yeah, this is like all. This is like almost something that should be like on the side of a van. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like a full on robot battle with lasers and explosions. Yeah. I mean, it's fucked up that they put first there was robot jocks. I mean, to me, this would, young me would been. Probably may have been like, oh, that's the sequel. Yeah. I mean, that's what I feel like you're led to believe, but. For sure. It's even weird that they could do that because, again, Robot Wars was Full Moon Features, Mm -hmm. which is Charles Band's second company, and Empire Pictures, which had produced Robot Jocks and had been sold to somebody else. Like, they're not even the same studio. (laughs) So how were they even allowed to say Robot Jocks? I have a feeling whoever ended up owning Robot Jocks probably didn't even know they owned it. <laughs> Maybe. They probably bought up. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, I'll take that uh, that file box full of uh, rights to different things. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, though, to look like uh, it looks like Paramount is the one who distributed this. Like Full Moon produced oh, it yeah. and Paramount released it, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Paramount ain't no slouch. Oh, they, they released yeah. Crash and Burn, too. Wow. See the logo down there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this is an awesome painting. Cool ass image. Yeah, this is like legit, like a great robot painting. Yeah, like I would 100% hang this poster on my wall. Yeah. It is cool as hell looking. Yeah, I think, uh, I'm not breaking down. I think Robot Wars is my favorite. Jocks, then Crash and Burn. Yeah. So the Jocks one is great, but it's a different feeling. But I don't know if I'm thinking about like the. The buttery essence of this episode, <laughs> it's well Robot Wars. See, I think these two posters for Robot Wars and Robot Jocks accomplish two separate goals very well. Robot Wars is an awesome image that would stop me in my tracks in the video store. 
Mm-hmm. Robot jocks, if I, like I said, if I saw that poster like as a teaser image and hanging in a movie theater, I would be all over it. So I think that they're both very good, but I would probably still lean with you mm. with Robot Wars. Well played. Break it down. Break it down for the people. Uh, Well, I would give, let's say, I'm going to go full five, five synthoids to Robot Wars. <laughs> synthoids is what they called the synthetic humans in Crash and Burn, by the way. Yeah, they did. <laughs> uh. And, you know, for... Equal but different reasons, I'm also going to give five synthoids to Robot Jocks. Oh, a tie. And uh, I'll go ahead and give, I guess, three synthoids to Crash and Burn. Oh, wow, Millsy. All right. Being awfully giving tonight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It is what it is. Mm -hmm. It knows it's not as good as the other two. Fair enough. Well played. Yeah. And uh, that brings us to Buy, Borrow, Burn. And I think mm. it's pretty obvious where we're going to land. I think this is going to be if, the easiest Buy, Borrow, Burn in a while. If there's if there's some way this doesn't shake out like every person involved in listening thinks it's going to, I'm going to be very surprised. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're both going to burn, crash and burn, yes. borrow Robot Wars, and buy Robot Jocks all day long. Totally. Totally. Yeah. That one was, I mean, I, that one, the writing was on the wall there. Yeah. I legit have no interest in ever watching Crash and Burn again. Yeah. I could see us being together sometime and watching either Robot Wars <laughs> or Robot Jocks. Yeah. But I could, you know, I would like a nice addition of Robot Jocks. It would like, it would, it would complete the circle of life for me as a small boy, <laughs> possibly having it on VHS or just renting it from the seven different mom and pop joints in my neighborhood. Keep, up. keep your eyes on uh, eBay. Set up an eBay alert for that oh, Robot Jocks Blu-ray because it's pretty good. Millsy, I ain't crazy like you. I ain't going to pay no $60 for some That's why I said set up, an, set up an alert so you see when the, the cheap ones roll in there and you can swipe yeah, them before anyone else gets them. Then, uh, me and eBay don't get along like that because I'm going to go crazy <laughs> watching this thing when someone like Tony Sedani comes in at the last minute and snipes it. <laughs> you know? <sighs> well... I thought you liked Robot Jocks. I don't know what to say. I do, but... The thing I'm really curious about now is, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, now Mm. that it has gone out of print and Shout Factory has not, like, renewed their deal for it, whether they wanted to or whether they could, I don't know. Like, it leaves the doors wide open now for Vinegar Syndrome or Arrow Video or somebody else to potentially put out a new version, which presumably they would have to even outdo the special features that were on the shout factory ones. So, uh, I'm not going to rule out the possibility of a double dip on Blu-ray for me. If somebody else puts out a better version, but my man for the time being, I'm just happy to say that I bought uh, a copy from shout before the price started to spike. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I am proud to have robot jocks on my shelf. I like your style, son. (laughs) Right between RoboCop 3 and Rolling Thunder. <laughs> yes. <sighs> All right. Uh, it's that time. Shall we find Shall out what we? we're watching next? Millsy, how many Maniac episodes are we up to now? Gosh, so many. Right now we have 224. The list just keeps oh, growing. Jeez. Just when I thought we were done. All right. We'll never be done. 
to 24. Generate. Millsy. Mm-hmm. 90. 90. Next up, we are watching movies related to the skills to pay the bills. Hmm. I don't know what these are. Real? What? Uh, I have an idea. Taxburger. I know. I think. You're embarrassing me here. I'm almost drawing a blank here. <laughs> don't embarrass me, Mr. Try to tell me these are A-plus movies here. I, I'm just a little surprised that you uh, don't know what they are. I'm, uh, we'll see. We better get off so I can figure out what these are. <laughs> well, dear listener, uh, in a mere three weeks, you, along with Joe Daxberger, can find out what the skills to pay the bills means. Mm-hmm. But uh, until then, keep on herking and jerking, people. <laughs> Crash and burn, Dax. <laughs> Crash and burn, Mills. I'm Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.